0: So what really was the problem with the Bearcats defense on Saturday trying to stop the run against USF? And how panicked should fans be after the game? We got that all covered for you right here today on Locked On Bearcats. Our Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, we thank you very much for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen of every day. We are free and available everywhere that you get your podcast and on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our Lockdown Bearcats YouTube channel, where we are up to 535 subscribers and counting. Today's episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm Alex Frank, your host each and every day. Russ Heltman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, joining me today as he does every Thursday for our weekly conversation about the Cincinnati Bearcats. They're coming off a of 28-12 to 12 Florida, but it did not come easily at all for Cincinnati. In fact, the Bearcats gave up over 200 yards rushing to the Bulls. So Russ, I'll ask you first, what was the main reason why the Bearcats struggled uh, to stop the run against USF?
1: Alex, Locked On Bearcats listeners, great to be back on the show. 28-24 victory, very narrow, first time in a long time that this team has trailed at the half in a home game at Nippert Stadium, but they were able to get it done despite the touchdown deficit going into the first half locker room. And a large part of the Bulls production was, I think, attributed to Jerry Bohannon, the fact that this guy put put up 117 yards on 14 carries, he was doing a great job of running that read option game for the South Florida Bulls. And they clearly, Alex, I think, recognized... The game plan that Arkansas used with K.J. Jefferson, his ability to punish the Bearcats up the middle using that extra blocker in the run game and be able to take out this three-three-five defense and spread them out a little bit wider than they would have liked to open up those middle of the field rushing lanes. And we saw that on Saturday and then on the touchdown run, 50 plus yards, we had Jaquan Shepard and I think it was Brian Threats, get a little mixed up on the back end there. And then Eric Phillips hesitated just long enough for Bohannon to recognize it, get around the edge and scamper there for that touchdown. That was almost detrimental to the Bearcats hopes of extending their home winning streak to 30 games and conference winning streak to 18, which they were able to pull off because of strong defense down the stretch there. And of course the running game of their own coming to, uh, coming to the savior of the Cincinnati Bearcats in the final quarter.
0: Charles McClellan. Um, 179 rushing yards, career high for him in the Bearcats win, including the game-winning 35-yard touchdown. Russ, you mentioned that this was the first time the Bearcats trailed at the half in a home game in a very long time. I can confirm to you and everybody listening to today's show that the last time the Bearcats trailed at home at halftime was October 4th, 2019, when the Bearcats played UCF. They trailed mm-hmm. 16-10. to at the half. Now, Russ, something for you. Your alma mater. The last time the Bearcats trailed at home in the fourth quarter game, September twenty second, 2018, against Ohio. And that game to me, Russ, it's interesting the parallels here because the Bearcats won that game. And I think that really kind of was a building block, a cement block in the culture that's been established here by the Bearcats. This game on Saturday, with the culture that's been in place for so long and the winning that has taken place over the last four years, I think that's pulled this one off for us. Am I, am I right?
1: Yeah, it was, a, it was a culture win. It was a program win. And obviously, when you look at the fact that you have Corey Kiner go down, you have Tyler Scott go down, you lose multiple receivers, you lose Bryn Bryant in the fourth quarter. The entire program had to come up in terms of second, third string guys, elevate their games, and really come and meet the moment. And that's exactly what they did against the South Florida team that Spencer Tuckerman of uh, Bearcats Media, uh, I think the director of their media services, did a great write-up after the game just talking about the 20-year history with South Florida and how this team has been entrenched with UC across multiple conferences, multiple decades, and they were going to give them all they could possibly have, and it took the power of UC as an overall program under Luke Fickle, what he's recruited since 2019, 2020, 2021. A lot of those different names had to make plays in this game, and a, a player that we really didn't talk about at all on this show. I haven't talked about him much in my writing throughout the season. Ty Van Fossen. Comes out of nowhere, has not out of nowhere, he's a starter, but has a career-high 16 tackles, 7 solo tackles. Was a huge final line of defense on a lot of Bohannon runs when he was in the open field, and Van Fossen was able to amass a lot of those solos against Bohannon in key situations. So it was a lot of guys that you don't necessarily – hear about or expect to see making huge plays week to week, but they answered the bell. And for example, Ivan Pace Jr., they had a great game plan for him. They were smacking him in the mouth at the second level. They were bringing the pain to him as opposed to the previous teams this season, letting Ivan Pace and his bullet type of mentality bring the impact to them. And overall, the depth and levels of acclimation in this program to know what your job is, know who you are as a player, and be able to bring those skills to the forefront when you're called upon. It was all put on perfect display and encapsulated by the fact that Evan Prater, guy barely even is able to take – he barely had taken snaps from under center in practice. He has to go learn how to do under center snaps in the middle of, of his first yeah. call to action really for the whole season, and they were able to keep adapting and able to keep the train on the tracks in that sense. So the fact that they were able to pull out that win, trailing – without your starting quarterback having to put in Evan Prater, not that you don't trust him, but in any situation on any football team, that's not exactly a place you want to be, but when you can escape it and have the fires of that experience harden you going forward into this idle week and going forward into the toughest stretch of the season conference-wise for this Bearcats team, it can be looked at as a really positive impact and a positive experience, I think, in that final hour of action at Nipper Stadium.
0: Sometimes you're going to have games that you have to pull out you know, by the skin of your teeth. And I think about um, what's interesting to me, Russ, and I noted this on a piece I wrote for All Bearcats earlier this week, that one thing I'm really seeing is the recruiting that has been done over the years has really come into fruition. And I say that because you look at Saturday's game in particular. Who stepped up and helped the Bearcats win the game? Fossum. I'll mention two players who I mentioned as my stars of the game on Saturday. Javon Hicks, uh, and not to mention he's a Cincinnati kid, played at Colerain High School. Russ, do you remember his first game as a Bearcat first start against UCLA? James Wiggins goes down, and I noted this earlier this week. Javon Hicks, in his first career start, fumble recovery, interception. Just thrusted right in, seamless transition. All right, and then how about this, Russ? And I'm not sure how many people have talked about him this week in terms of heroes of the game. Mason Fletcher. Russ, he had three punts on Saturday. How many of them landed inside the 20? Russ, do you remember off the top of your head?
1: I think it was all three, right? And he had two inside the 10? I mean, he was, he was darting them in there, and he was a huge special teams weapon. Yeah.
0: Russ, he has 28 punts this year. 12 of them have landed inside the 20. Actually, it might be 14. Good. But regardless... I would say. I would say so. So it's just interesting to me, Russ, how the, the recruiting that I, we said earlier in the offseason was going to have to come into play in order right now, and it has, and then some, and Saturday was a perfect example of that.
1: Yeah, it was, and it's just goes to show it's one thing to have highly touted recruits and have guys that you say on paper you rely on, but the fact that you can see it in actual motion on the field. And it doesn't seem like they're dropping a beat. It doesn't seem like they've fallen off precipitously. We talked about this last week in terms of defensively from losing seven starters last year to what you have this season, you just reload, keep going with the recruiting base that you are very confident in. And on top of that recruiting base, it's the coaching acumen. It's the coaching staff. It's the practice mentality. The fact that all of these guys third string on up are playing in practice like they're going to play in the game on Saturday, even if they never see a snap. And so that goes to allow guys like Evan Prater to come right in and be able to steady the ship and be able to lead a touchdown drive and a game winning milk clocking drive in the fourth quarter. It allows guys in the receiver position to step right in and make some plays. So the fact that you have just so much stable confidence, if you're a coaching staff, in the ability to go to a second string guy, a third string guy, and not have it miss a beat, I think it just breeds more confidence and it breeds a lot of, I would say, size of relief for every other player in the locker room where they're thinking, all right, if this one guy goes down, for example, like the the Rams, or for example, in the NFL, LA, if Jalen Ramsey goes down, if, if Aaron Donald goes down on that defense, it's a wrap. It's completely changed. But Malik Van goes down, Eric Phillips and company fill right in you lose multiple starters, like I mentioned, they fill right in. Offensive line wise, Gavin Gerhardt steps right in for Jake Renfro. A little bit of a drop off there, but not that much. And so all of these things make you very confident as a player on that team, knowing that even if someone does go down in the heat of battle in the most important moments in the fourth quarter, their backup is going to be able to come in and play like a starter.
0: And that's what he did. All right, so speaking of that, we'll talk about the quarterback um, situation. Evan Prater had to finish the game for Ben. We'll talk about what that means going forward, and I know a lot of people are going to perk their ears up a little bit because when they hear, what does this mean going forward, they might think, well, does Evan Prater get more playing time? Maybe start. We'll, we'll see if that's the case. But we'll get into that after word from BetOnline.net, your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all of the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more the game starts. Ross Helman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, joining me today. Alex Frank with you, your host of Lockdown Bearcats, each and every day, free and available everywhere as you get your podcast. So, Ben Bryant, a struggle on Saturday, but nevertheless, still threw for two touchdowns, two crucial touchdowns, if you will, to Jaden Thompson, who, I mean, practically just uh, as Justin Williams said, undressed three players, and then Nick Bardner with a touchdown catch. Since, it, uh, but Ben Bryant leaves the game late. With we don't know or we weren't told what the injury is, I think one can suspect what it is. Peter uh, comes in, finishes the game, leads the Bearcats to a come-from-behind win. So, Russ, the proverbial question that's being asked around Clifton: Does this do anything to the quarterback to the quarterback room going forward?
1: I don't think it does. It doesn't change the strings. I mean, Ben Bryan is still the starter, despite having his second worst performance of the season QBR-wise, two worst performances, and only sub-50 QBR performances of the year have come against Arkansas and against South Florida, obviously. 15-21s, to 178 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Those inter- One of those interceptions helping the Bulls just really dominate time of possession and ended up with a five-minute overall advantage on that front in this game. But I don't think it really changes much. Sure, Evan Prater, I think you and I have been in lockstep with this, and I would say even before this performance of guiding the team to their 30th straight uh, home victory, deserved maybe four to five quarterback reads, run out, run pass options here or there in the flow of the game. And I think that's something that you would like to see Gino Guadouli, Nate Letton, the rest of this coaching staff offensively come up with a plan and come up with a flow game plan wise that would allow Evan Prater to get in there like that. He was able to um, have a nine yard read option run in, um, in the time when Bren Bryant was entrenched as a, as a healthy starter in the game against South Florida on Saturday. And he almost broke it inside the red zone for a touchdown. So the fact that his legs gives you so much of an advantage. And it was so obvious watching South Florida and those final two drives of the fourth quarter, just keying in on Evan Prater, really committing to the run committing to the fact that Evan Prater gives you an advantage in the box against the defense. It gives you that much more an advantage offensively. So the fact that it is a weapon, it's a defined weapon that they have in Evan Prater. I think it would be malpractice not to put that weapon out there four to five times a game, but, Like I said, like you and I have said for the past month, past six weeks, Ben Bryant has done more than enough to continue hanging on to this job. He's done more than enough in my eyes as a top 10 PFF graded quarterback in the country to maybe warrant some NFL looks. If he can bounce back and really show what he's made of in two road games against UCF and against SMU first off against the Mustangs next Saturday. So the fact that Evan Prater came in and did the job that he did makes you really happy as a Bearcats fan. It might make you think, Hey, we'll perk up with that quarterback controversy again. But I don't I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. There's been no inclination that they would go to a two Q B system. And that's the only only type of scenario where I could see Evan Prater getting ten plus snaps a game in this offense outside of like we just saw Ben Bryant taking a taking an unfortunate injury in a game.
0: All right, so we mentioned Ben Bryant getting hurt. Uh, two, uh, Multiple other players came away from this game a little wounded, if you will. Tyler Scott left the game with an ankle injury. Uh, Corey Kiner didn't play with a hand injury. And then Ivan Pace, we found out after the game, has a dinged up right shoulder. And by the way, he only had seven tackles and a tackle for loss. And if that's his off game, okay, I think we're in good hands. But Russ, can you provide some updates from what you know about those three crucial players to this team?
1: Well, uh, yeah, Tyler Scott, I don't know exactly what the, up. we don't have any updates. Honestly, there's been no media availability. There's been no press conferences this week. They're on the idle week. Obviously that's the way it goes. We'll get back and talking with coach on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday and see what, uh, see what the status looks like there. I'm sure he'll update on all those guys, but it doesn't seem like with Kiner who's also dinged up pace. Obviously it looked like he was a little slowed down and just not as aggressive as he usually is given the, uh, given the shoulder injury you just mentioned And, and Tyler Scott, all three of those guys, it does not seem to me, Alex, like it's going to keep them out for the rest of the month or even past the bye week. So knock on wood, maybe maybe they one of those three or a couple of those three players end up missing one or two games possibly. But I wouldn't expect it being a multiple game injury or even
0: I would be surprised if we don't see all of them against SMU on, uh, on October 29th. By the way, thank goodness that's a noon kickoff because I, if we had another seven o'clock kickoff or a nine o'clock kickoff on ESPN2 or you, I don't, I, listen, I don't like the late kickoff games. Noon kickoffs are great because the lockdown now is posted by four, the recap is posted by six, and then I can go eat my Chipotle on Saturday night and not have to worry about anything.
1: No qualms here, Alex. I think every media member in the country would love their football games to start at noon Eastern on Saturdays. I am, uh, I'm a thousand yeah. percent with you.
0: So let's just keep it that way, not <laughs> two thirty on ESPN Plus either. I mean, oh, okay. Man. So let's get into this. Excuse me. Um, I gave Bearcats. Excuse me, an overall grade of A for the first half of the season. What say you? What? What? It, how would you grade the Bearcats overall through the first half of the season?
1: Yeah, Alex's grades all available. Special teams, defense, offense on allbearcats.com at the top of the page. You can find those by looking up All in your Googling machine. i w I'm not as I'm not as lenient as you are of a grader. I think you have to be undefeated to earn an A grade this at wow. this point halfway through the season. So I'm gonna give them a B plus. I think it's a B plus. They've played a lot of great halves of football. Really just that hiccup in the first half against Arkansas is the biggest difference why they are not six and zero right now. Yeah. And so that's gonna put me at a from an a A minus to a B plus. Now an A plus a+ is if they have a 25, 30 plus point per game point differential. They're top 15 in the country. They have Arkansas, an A plus a+ would be if Arkansas had lost to UC and was now still undefeated. Like there's A and A pluses to me for this program means you're getting back to the college football playoff. And for that yeah. to happen this season, they were going to have to need some help. So obviously that's not going to happen. They're not going to make the college football playoff, but they can definitely still make the American Athletic Conference championship game and a New Year's Six Bowl, which funny enough, Alex, it seems like almost a lock that they would be playing in the Cotton Bowl once again if they yeah. were to actually make a, a New Year's Six
0: Bowl. Well, uh, and maybe the latest projections would still be they play USC. That could be fun. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd like yeah. that. I mean, by the way, the Cotton Bowl is the same day as the Bills Bengals Monday night football game. So a big big day of football in Cincinnati. And maybe the, and maybe we'll go 2-0. So, but my goodness, you're setting your expectations too high, Russ Heltman. I mean, my, I mean, listen, this team lost nine players to the NFL draft. They went on the road, held their own against an SEC opponent who we thought was really good. Yeah, they're maybe not right now. Um, they have dominated every other game except for USF. Maybe it's you're just letting recency bias get in the way of you giving this team an A. Because I look at who they lost and how they're winning games, how dynamic this offense is. And by the way, the defense is still pretty dang good, if not better than last year. So I think you're you're, you're letting outside forces, external forces, and expectations get in the way of you accurately grading this team, Russ Heldman. My goodness, come on. B plus. This team is this B team plus. Is five and- you got
1: You got to cover some spreads as well to get me to get me in the A territory. No, Two off, out of five it, it, covering no. spreads this season, Alex. Cover Two out spread. of five, okay. and they are missing the spread cover no. by double digit points on average this season. So, given the what they did oh. against UC against USF on uh, on Saturday, so okay. yeah, I mean they would. I think they would agree with me. The standard has been set. The standard is the college football playoff for this program. But they're not they going go to go this year.
0: They're not going to go this year. They could have gone, I, t- I said to people earlier this week, they could go undefeated this year. They're not going to the college football playoff. That's just the way it is. That's an indictment on the American Athletic Conference, which we know is not very good. Now, as far as covering the spread, look, sports now. You know, a huge part of it is betting and spreads. I get all of that. But don't let that be the deciding factor in what grade you give this team. Sure, do I pay attention to spreads? Yes. Do I pay attention to over-unders? Yes. Do I pay attention to sports betting? Yes. Maybe less than I should. But I look at play on the field, Russ. I look at play on the field. They have a 53-point win over an FCS opponent who, by the way, now might be – a member of Conference USA down the road. They have a 21-point win over their arch rivals. They beat a Big Ten opponent by 21. I don't care if Indiana stinks or not. That's a 21-point win. And they have a 10-point win on the road in conference play against a Pesky Tulsa team. And, they, you know, USF, say what you want about it, but they won the game. And they only lost by seven on the road to Arkansas. So, excuse me, but my leniency should be. fact, it is. I'm going to give it an A. All right. Agree We're to disagree. Moving on. So, Yes. Okay. So, so how much do you actually, you know what? We'll, we'll consider that a tease. We'll come back and ask you those two questions after we hear from two of our sponsors. Lockdown Bearcats on a Thursday. Russ Hellman joining me as usual on Thursdays. And Russ, I believe you're joining us tomorrow too for our uh, All Bearcats basketball preview, correct?
1: That we are. I'm I, I'm I'm loving it. Becoming a staple on the Locked On Bearcats feet. I'm 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 all for yeah. it. I love it. Nice little partnership we well, got going is, on here. It's been fun. This
0: is, this is very good. This, this is very good. So tomorrow, Russ Hellman and I, maybe our buddy James Rapine will join us for some basketball talk. We're going to talk some hoops, um, basketball preview because it's the bye week, and you know we got to find content somehow. So we're like, you know what? Basketball season is it like the season is less than four weeks away.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, as of this recording, I think we're about 26, 25 days away. Something like that. How about that?
0: All right. So how much, because like, this is something I noted earlier, earlier this week, I wrote in Bearcats. How much do you worry about the long stretches where this team doesn't score or the slow starts like at Arkansas or USF, they get off to, how much do you worry about those things going into the second half of the season?
1: I, I'd, I'd put my worry level if, if I was going to rate it out of 10 at about a six right now, not super worried, but it's definitely on the radar Alex, because like, this is the toughest stretch, especially against UCF at the bounce house on October 9th, 29th. I saw you, uh, you noted the composite ratings that came out on, uh, this week from all like the SAP plus free mail efficiency, um, Football Outsiders, move Efficiency Index Rating, all that stuff, all the advanced analytical numbers, barely have UCF just above Cincinnati. So to me, sure, you're not going to worry about slow starts against USF for the most part, against Kennesaw State, against Indiana. You're not going to worry about slow starts there, but against a team in UCF that can do to you at a much higher level. What South Florida just did to you with their rushing ability at the quarterback position in John Reese Plumley, who just got named uh to the AAC on a roll once again this week, is having a really great year dual threat wise for the US UCF Golden Knights. You cannot afford to go down 10-0, go down 17-7 in these road environments against a team in UCF that is judged neck and neck right next to you and in terms of the composite ratings barely viewed as a better team right now efficiency wise than the cincinnati bearcats and when we're talking about efficiency you have to find a way to get that ball into the end zone or through the uprights at a more consistent rate earlier in the game going into this bye week it couldn't have come at the more perfect time and in terms of that worry about the actual issues to me i don't see one root cause that they can stamp out. It's just a a false start here or there, a holding penalty here or there, a missed assignment here that leads to a a tackle for loss in the backfield there. It's just little itty-bitty things that can get them knocked off of their rhythm, get them knocked off the drive consistency, and get them away from the end zone and putting the ball back in the opponent's hand. So I'm a little bit worried about it, Alex, especially going into the stretch but it's quelled a bit because they're not overarching headaches that they can kind of glaringly look at and say, this is a huge issue for us. And those miniature headaches can get much more um, easily hammered out. I think with this stretch of idle play, you can get a little bit more healthy and maybe that's what it is. You're a little bit banged up. You're six weeks into the season. You're starting to play a little sloppy. Your, your eye isn't as much on the prize. And now you can refocus in these seven days where they don't have to worry about a game.
0: Yeah. Well, that UCF game is going to be absolutely, absolutely enormous. I mean, it very well could determine who has home field in the championship game, and you're going on the road. It's going to be a tough environment. That that stadium, Russ. That Saturday, I don't care what time the game is—noon, three thirty, seven thirty—it's going to be yeah. loud, and uh, we know that. So, here's another question um, that I want to know. So, we talk about long scoring stretches or slow starts, but what's another thing? that you want to see different in the second half of the season, that see as much on the first half?
1: I think maybe some more corner blitzes.
0: That's kind of what I've been
1: looking at. and Maybe just some some more impactful play from the corners themselves because that's what's going to largely, I think, decide this UCF game is it's going to be the ability of UC to have their corners sit on an island, be able to play a little bit tighter man coverage, be able to stick a little bit harder on their men down the field, 10, 15 yard areas, and not have to get guys like Brian Threats and Javon Hicks to suck up and be able to attack that rushing game, which is just vaunted from the UCF Golden Knights when they're in uh, their quarterback, John Reese Plumley. So to me, that's the big thing I'm looking for in the second half. Can we get continued improvement from this cornerback room, continued improvement from Jaquan Shepard? a nice veteran stretch where you just lay it all out on the line and play your best football for Mark Bush. And then obviously Sammy Anderson jr. And Taj Ward continuing to get better and better in the slot corner position. But to me, I think cornerback is going to play a large role in who will be hosting the AAC championship game come December, because I mean, knock on wood, obviously, but at this point, halfway through the season, Houston's gone. They're done Tulane, Sure. They have, made a little bit more noise than you would have expected this year but to me it's UCF it's UC and a tier above themselves and then maybe Tulane right there beneath them but it's and along with SMU but it's it's looking like those two teams once again like they have been the entire past 5 years it seems like in the American Athletic Conference are going to be the cream of the crop in this league
0: yeah All right, so Houston might be gone in football, but one place where they're not gone and certainly won't be for who knows how long is men's basketball, Russ. The uh, American coaches poll came out yesterday at AAC Media Days, and the Cougars picked to finish first, but the Bearcats picked to finish third. 82 votes. Um, I think for me, that's a solid place to start the season, being picked to finish third, considering you don't really know where this program is right now, and uh, we'll preview this for tomorrow. But what do you make of their third place ranking in the coaches poll to start the season?
1: It's a lot of history and benefit of the doubt for this Bearcats team that I think has a lot to prove going into the season. You finished eighth in the AAC last year. I think that was I think that's their worst finish ever in the American Athletic Conference for a full conference season slate. They lose eight of their final 10 games of the season. They completely fall flat on their faces and they're left with a lot of question marks going into the offseason. Now they reload. You move some guys out in terms of the transfer portal, bring some guys in. Kalu Exigbe from Old Dominion. You get Landers Nolly from Memphis. Rob Fennessy from Indiana. A lot of big-time physical veteran talent that I think – will help Cincinnati get back to its roots. Bearcat ball. West Miller wants to play really hard-nosed defense. That's all they work on in the first four or five days of camp, Alex. It's it's literally just defense. They don't even use a basketball. They just go over defensive strategies and defensive sets. So I think they're going to be a lot more tightened up on that end of the floor. And we might see a little bit tighter rotation in terms of not using 10, 11 guys per, uh, per game and getting them at least eight to 10 minutes each. So I think... This Bearcats team has a lot of potential going into this season, and they have a capped ceiling, but I don't know exactly how much of that potential we're fully going to see fleshed out through until we get to maybe January and February when this team fell on its face last year and really left the entire possibility of making a return to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2019 off the table. I'm not going to really pull one way or another in the non-conference slate, unless they go to Maui and just win the whole tournament or something. Like, obviously then that, that would be a statement there, but like Alex, they have, they have one true road game in the non-conference slate this year. Guess where it's at. Uh, NKU. Yes, that is correct. The true road game is a 15 minute bus drive from the university of Cincinnati campus. So not even, I think a lot of the heart and soul of this team and this roster and the trajectory of this team this season will be decided in the middle parts of January and the early parts of February when you really have to buckle down, dig deep into what you were able to accomplish workout-wise in the summer and be able to get through the rest of the season. And that's something that this team in the media um, media availability a couple weeks ago discussed a lot and said was a huge, huge positive impact for this program getting to have a full Wes Miller laid out summer plan for all these guys in the monster factory in particular with uh head of sports performance michael Reifel.
0: yes well i mean he he is mr uh, mr strength whatever is a uh, whatever his nickname i forget what his nickname is uh mr strength you see i think i know that because I, I worked with his wife for uh, a few months at wwt when uh, his first in. yeah, Elise, right? All yeah, right. she does stuff so, with, with
1: all Bengals and stuff.
0: Yeah, Elise Jesse, who's now who's now with all Bengals, in your colleague, um, over at all Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals talk, etc. All right, so that's basketball, we'll, we'll have a full preview tomorrow. Question: You know, I'd like to ask you about this because you also write for all Bengals. And Sunday's game, despite the um, pull your hair out kind of feel it gave you, right? Um, were there any positives? that you took from that game that can be carried into sunday because i look at this the running game was better wasn't great was better though your next four teams russ they're in the bottom half of the league in rush defense new orleans atlanta carolina and cleveland but what positives for you were there on sunday heading into this sunday in new orleans
1: Biggest positive for me was how Joe Mixon looked. I thought he looked more explosive, more decisive, and the entirety of the offensive line had their best game so far in the Bengals uniform from the entire unit. So those are the two biggest positives for me. And the biggest factor this Sunday, it's number nine. And to be honest, number nine has to play a lot better football. He just has to play better. He has to hold on to the ball a little longer. He's got to get through his reads a little bit faster. He's got to hit the right men against two high coverages. He is not reading those defenses correctly right now. The plays are getting called for him to break down two high defenses, and he's just not seeing it. So to me, the running game is starting to come together. The offensive line is starting to come together. Yeah, it really is. Mr. You can't zero me. You got to zero in on some great play, brother. You got to figure out a way to tap back into the level of processing you had last year. And if the bottom line is you want to be a quarter billion dollar quarterback, you got to start playing better than you have. And you got to start playing like a top 10, top seven, top five quarterback, not a top 16, top 14, top 13 quarterback. Like he's been so far, the margin of error is that small for the Bengals right now. And at two and three, you're not out of it at all. One game back in the division and a very tight AFC, but, at two and three, and if you get to two and four, two and five, things start getting late in the season very quickly.
0: Yeah. I just think, and you mentioned that you can't zero me. That was the same game. Remember in the post-game press conference, he said, he's like, well, you guys know I have the playbook on the back of my hand, right? So this year he's saying, well, there's just nothing downfield for us, so we have to take what the defense gives us. That's not something I want to hear from my superstar quarterback, Russ. No,
1: and um I don't know about you, but I saw the Raiders hit a fifty-six yard deep ball to Devontae Adams yes. pinpoint drop ball against a two high safety look on yeah. Monday night that almost won in the football game. So yeah, it can be done. It can be done. It uh it's not it impossible, Joe. You can you guys did can just, figure it out. You did you you beat two high defenses last year and you got to figure out a way to start doing it this year. Or the highest expectation season in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals will fall flat on its face as quickly as possible.
0: Well, I mean, I, that's why I think Sunday is a must-win game in that regard. It's a game you have to win, a game you should win against New Orleans. Who, yeah, it's solid. I mean, Taysom Hill could be a problem. Alvin Kamara, uh, Michael Thomas, if he plays. Yeah, I mean, they have some guys. Jarvis Landry, but I mean, come on, they're not that. They're not. Although this is not the Saints of twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen that that you that you lost to fifty one to fourteen in. Uh, Paul Brown's, uh, what was then Paul Brown's yeah. stadium. And it's like if Geno if Smith can game. toss so, three
1: touchdowns, two of which were absolute darts down the middle of the field, 30-plus yards into the end zone, and do that to the New Orleans Saints, then Joe Burrow should be able to do that yeah. to the New Orleans Saints. But I, we shall see.
0: Austin Elmore mentioned it earlier this week. You know, Joe Burrow, for as much as we love him, he's kind of made a little nonchalant right now, and he's not delivering on the field. So...
1: No arguments here. He has not delivered. That was a no fact. No argument.
0: Yeah. All right, Russ. We're back tomorrow. So double dose of us this week. Basketball preview tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Until then, you can follow Russ Helman on Twitter at Russ Hellman 11 He's producer and host of WMKV 89.3, and of course, he's my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated as well. Russ, thank you, Say, so And um, we will talk to you tomorrow.
1: Yes, excited to expand upon the basketball point tomorrow with the full preview. I'm excited for this basketball season. I think it's going to be a lot better vibes uh, at Fifth Third Arena this year than it has been in years past. Should be a lot of fun.
0: I'm hope so too, because when when when, it, when it, the environment is like what it's been in years past, nothing like it. Russ, thank you as always. We will talk to you tomorrow. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Frankie underscore 90 with two N's and an ATI. You can also follow me on Instagram, AlexFrank9 underscore, email me at Alex3Frank at gmail. Com. Hey, thanks so much for uh, making lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. Now for your second listen, make it Locked On Big 12. Get more on the Big 12 by making Locked Big 12 your second listen with everyday host Josh Neighbors and the local experts of Locked On as they take you across the conference in 30 minutes. Locked Big 12 for your second listen. That's Locked Big 12. For Locked Bearcats, I'm Alex Frank. Have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you all tomorrow right here on Locked Bearcats.